You are listening to the podcast of First Baptist Church of Sevierville, where our mission is helping people move from their point of need to hope in Christ. For more information about our church, head on over to severe.church. Today's sermon, Jephthah, is part four in the series, Unlikely, shared by senior pastor Dan Spencer. Let me invite you to please take your Bible and find Judges chapter 10. And we're going to begin there in just a few minutes. Thank you so much to our worship ministry today. Wonderful, wonderful time leading us. And uh, let's continue to worship by going to God's Word. Uh, I have to say that um, it's been a challenge and it's been a good one uh, for my heart to preach these last few weeks uh, about unlikely Uh, How God takes unlikely people and uses them for His glory. And uh, we've seen this in the book of Judges. We're going to return there today. And I want to thank Pastor Keith for preaching about Deborah and Barak last Sunday while I was away. You know, one uh, one of the greatest things about being a Christian... ...is seeing God use your brothers and sisters in Christ. Uh, Last week in Panama... Uh, I really had a great time just standing back and watching our team as God used them. One of them is here on the third row, Gloria Christensen, proof that uh, good things come in small packages. And uh, Gloria just really shone there. And I saw God use her in uh, ministering to uh, prostitutes on the streets of Panama City late at night, Thursday night. Uh, saw the Lord use her in a public school classroom and in many other settings. Great job, Gloria, and uh, really enjoyed seeing God use her. Now, uh, we believe that God can use anyone. In fact, it seems that God delights in picking up the, just the most unlikely people and, and using them for His glory. That's the story all through the Bible. And yet many Christians uh, will look at that and say, well, maybe others, but not me. And they reason that uh, because of sins of their past or failures that they have had in their lives or, or they, they haven't been a Christian very long, they don't know enough, they, they just figure God can't possibly use me. But the Bible really tells a different story, doesn't it? Especially in the book of Judges, that we see that God just keeps on picking up unlikely common people like me and you and using us for his glory. We've already looked at uh, some of the judges like Deborah and Gideon and Samson. Today, uh, we're going to see that truth in the life of an unlikely man that God picked to do something very powerful for his people. And his name was Jephthah. Now, as we go to Judges chapter 10, you may remember that the book of Judges is a time in the history of God's people that was sort of an in-between time because they had uh, moved into the promised land, the land of Canaan, but they had not really taken possession of it. And what I mean by that is um, they had moved in, but God told them when you get there, I want you to eliminate all of the culture 
and the people of the, the folks who live in that land. And during this time, they had not finished the task. And so they continually struggled against God's authority. They rebelled against the Lord over and over again. Uh, I, in fact, I think their most tragic failure in this time is they did not finish the task that God gave them that came with possessing the promised land. And that is that God told them completely eliminate the wicked culture of Canaan. If you don't, you're going to regret it. If you don't, they're going to lead you astray and away from me. And in fact, that's what happened because they did not finish that task. Now, uh, I want to fulfill a promise that I made to someone by talking about this issue for just a few minutes. And I know there's a lot to say. Let me just give you sort of an introduction to it. Um, and that is many people look at that issue and they say that's really offensive. That God would tell his people to take over the lands of indigenous people and totally eradicate, eradicate those people and their culture. And they look at that and say, it seems like God is guilty of genocide. That he had his people destroy all these cultures and all these people. And so when we think about that as Christians, we feel obligated to sort of get God off the hook for the deaths of so many people. But I would submit to you, I don't think we need to get God off the hook. I don't think God wants to be off the hook. Because here's what's going on. The people in the land of Canaan, they were not the only sinful people in the world, but their sins were egregious against God. And God drove them out of the land, and he used the Israelite people to do it because their culture was just detestable to him. It was so very wicked. There, were all, there was all this idol worship, many different deities that they worshipped. Uh, there were sorcerers and witches and mediums that people would go to for advice and for wisdom instead of going to the one true God, the God of Israel. And besides that, a lot of sexual perversion in the Canaanite culture and even, if you can believe it, child sacrifices to their pagan gods. And yet, despite all of that wickedness and all of that sin... God had been incredibly patient with the people of Canaan for generations, dating back all the way to the time of Abraham. Now, there were some, like uh, the women Rahab and Ruth, who came out of that Canaanite culture, and yet they saw how God was dealing with his people and, and the miracles that God did and how he loved and protected his people. And, uh, and so they joined in with God's people and they committed themselves to the one true God. And they, they did not worship the idols anymore. And, and so God was gracious to them and God saved them by his grace. Uh, but the vast majority of people were not like Ruth and Rahab in Canaanite culture. The majority of them hated God and they hated God's people and fought against them. And God judged them for that. In fact, God destroyed them. And uh, as painful as that is to uh, 
to think about that issue, it really highlights something that we and our culture really need to hear now more than ever. And that is the fact that God is holy. And His ways are not our ways. Our God is holy. And the world is broken. And people are sinful. And the truth is, all of us deserve God's judgment. All of us as sinners deserve the same fate as the Canaanites and the same judgment of God. We know that. We all deserve death and hell as sinners. What's amazing is that God doesn't just take us out the moment we commit our first sin. And this highlights the fact that we all need a Savior. And I'm, I'm, I'm so glad when I think about this issue that God has provided for us a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who went to the cross and took all of the judgment of God that we deserve, but he did it in our place so that we can be free of God's judgment and have a place in God's family. Uh, So I just wanted to take a moment to talk about that because in Judges chapter 10, it is Israel that becomes God's instrument of judgment for the Canaanites. Now the problem with Israel is that when they moved into the promised land, they left enough of Canaan hanging around that it started to influence them. And instead of changing the culture around them, they allowed the culture of Canaan to change them. And so what we see in Judges is this repeating cycle that went on for 12 generations. How the people of Israel would turn their back on the God who loved them and they would begin to adopt the practices of the Canaanite culture around them. Worshiping these false gods, worshiping the idols, doing all of these detestable things. And then God would take his hand of blessing and protection off of his people and allow them to be invaded by one of the Canaanite nations. And and that nation would oppress them and make life so difficult that God's people would eventually turn back to him and say, we have done wrong. And they would turn back to God and God in his mercy would provide for them a judge. That's why it's called the book of Judges. Not like a judge in a courtroom, more like an avenger or a freedom fighter that would rise up and, and fight on their behalf and, uh, and free them from the oppression of their enemies. So that cycle, by the way, is immediately relatable to every one of us. Because that really is the story of our salvation, isn't it? That we rebel against God. And, and uh, God allows us to make those sinful choices. To suffer the consequences of our sins. Once we hear about the goodness of God and salvation in Christ... We turn to God in repentance. And what does he do? In his mercy and grace, he has sent to us a redeemer, uh, a savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. And by faith in him, uh, we are set free from suffering the judgment of our sins. And we have a place in God's family. That is our story too. So we can all relate to that.
And by the way, most of our struggles as Christians can be tracked back to doing what the Israelites did over and over again, and that is leaving the door open to sin in some area of our lives. And when we do that, uh, we're not living in God's blessing. We're not fulfilling God's will for us. We're not experiencing all that we can as Christians in intimacy with God. And so what do we do? We begin to suffer. We cry out to God. We repent of that. And God in His grace forgives. And, uh, and so we know what that is like as well. We don't need to repeat that cycle ever again. God forbid that we do that. So uh, let's read about how that cycle continues in Judges chapter 10 and verse 6. Judges 10 verse 6. The Bible says, Then the children of Israel again did evil in the sight of the Lord. So the, the cycle is starting over. They served the Baals and the Asterisks, the gods of Syria, the gods of Sidon, the gods of Moab, the gods of the people of Ammon, and the gods of the Philistines. And they forsook the Lord and did not serve Him. So the anger of the Lord was hot against Israel. And He sold them into the hands of the Philistines and into the hands of the people of Ammon. From that year, they harassed and oppressed the children of Israel for 18 years. All the children of Israel who were on the other side of the Jordan in the land of the Amorites in Gilead. Moreover, the people of Ammon crossed over the Jordan to fight against Judah also, against Benjamin and against the house of Ephraim, so that Israel was severely distressed. And the children of Israel cried out to the Lord, saying, We have sinned against you, because we both forsaken our God and served the Baals, or these false gods. So the Lord said to the children of Israel, did I not deliver you from the Egyptians and from the Amorites and from the people of Ammon and from the Phil Philistines? Also, the Sidonians and Amalekites and Maonites oppressed you and you cried out to me and I delivered you from their hand. Yet you have forsaken me and served other gods. Therefore, I will deliver you no more. Go and cry out to the gods which you have chosen and let them deliver you in your time of distress. Ouch. Ouch. What a hard word. God is saying, here goes this cycle all over again. Have I not saved you time and time again and yet you keep turning back to these idols? How about doing this? Next time you have a problem, go bow down to one of those false gods and see what they can do for you. It's a tough word. Verse 15 says, And the children of Israel said to the Lord, We have sinned. Do to us whatever seems best to you. Only deliver us this day, we pray. And so they put away the foreign gods from among them and served the Lord. That's real repentance right there. They not only owned their sin. Lord, we have sinned against you. But then they, they said to the Lord, We're, we're going to... We're going to make things right. We're not going to look to these other things to bless us and to give us protection. Lord, they're false. We're looking only to you. And they began to serve the Lord. That's repentance. And look at God's response. It says his soul could no longer endure the misery of Israel. 
That's the great heart of God. A heart of mercy and grace. That though they had turned their backs on Him over and over again, God responds to their repentance. And He opens His heart. And God begins to help them once again. Now, these people must have known their history because immediately they begin to look for this uh, judge, this avenger that God was going to raise up uh, to, to help them. And so verse 18 says, And the people, the leaders of Gilead, said to one another, Who is the man who will begin to fight against the people of Ammon? He shall be head over all the inhabitants of Gilead. Uh, and then we find out the identity of that person in the next verse, chapter 11, verse 1. It says, Now Jephthah the Gileadite was a mighty man of valor, but he was the son of a harlot. And Gilead begot Jephthah. Gilead's wife bore sons. And when his wife's sons grew up, they drove Jephthah out and said to him, You shall have no inheritance in our father's house, for you are the son of another woman. Then Jephthah fled from his brothers and dwelt in the land of Tob. And worthless men banded together with Jephthah and went out raiding with him. It came to pass after a time that the people of Ammon made war against Israel. And so it was when the people of Ammon made war against Israel that the elders of Gilead went to get Jephthah from the land of Tob. Then they said to Jephthah, come and be our commander that we may fight against the people of Ammon. Uh, I try to picture what Jephthah must have been like. And I guess I've just seen too many Westerns in my life because when I picture this guy Jephthah, I picture a gunslinger from the Old West. Two pistols in the holster on his hips and he is ready for action. I picture him as somebody who might be played by Clint Eastwood. And so with that image in mind, let me give you Jephthah's life in four acts. Act one, I call it the outcast. The outcast, that's really what Jephthah was. He was forsaken by his family. His father Gilead had been with a prostitute. Jephthah was born out of that affair. And so Jephthah's half-brothers drove him out of the home. His own father let them do it and was separated from his son. He was disinherited by his family. And the elders of the tribe of Gilead, the ones who, had, had, uh, uh, the ones who took action against him, they said, you can't even live in our territory anymore. And so Jephthah is a man without a home, He's a man without a family. He's a man without a future, really. And when we meet him, he's living in a wild place between Gilead and the Syrian desert called Tob. Not exactly the background that you would expect of a person that God is going to greatly use. But that's the way God often does it. You know, many Christians think, uh, you know, I relate to Jephthah, God really can't use me. I have way too much craziness in my family. And, and there's just too much hurt. 
There's too much dysfunction that I was raised in. There's no way God can use somebody like me. And then some people relate to Jephthah on another level. They think, you know, I, I, I love being a Christian, but I'm not going to get close to a church. They call it a church family. But if my family that I grew up in has taught me anything, it's that people may say they love you, but then they'll turn their backs on you. And so I, I'm, I'm going to stay on the fringes. I'm not going to really open my heart and get, in, get involved and love a church family because I know what family does. A family will turn their back on you. I just want to say this to you. Uh, if you think God can't use me or, or I can't get close to this church family, can I tell you, if you'll open your heart, you'll find God using you and, and, and giving you room in your heart to love His people like never before. And if God can, God can include in His family somebody like Jephthah, you're included as well if you trust Him. The second act of Jephthah's life, I call it the outlaw. That's really what Jephthah was. It seems like he was a natural leader. He attracted a band of men like himself, a bunch of outcasts. My New King James Version calls them worthless men. The NIV calls them a gang of scoundrels. That's a good term. Jephthah led this gang of scoundrels, and he was kind of like a crime boss. He was a land pirate, and his gang of bandits made raids on Gilead, maybe on the Ammonite army. And Gilead, or, or Jephthah, developed this reputation as a, as a crafty, tough, uh, fearless outlaw. Again, not the most likely person for God to use. And again, many Christians might think, I relate to Jephthah. Same here. God certainly won't use me. I'm just not the type. I've made some bad choices in my life. I've been with some bad people in my life. I've, I've, I've lived in some bad places in my life. I don't think I'm the type that God can use. Listen to me. If God could use Jephthah with his background, God can certainly use you for his glory. Number three, let's call this act the unlikely hero. The unlikely hero. It's a fascinating twist in the story of Jephthah. How the elders of Jephthah's tribe, the same ones that pushed him out and banished him. They decided, listen, things are getting rough around here. We need a guy like Jephthah. And so they begged him to come back, lead the fight against the Ammonites. Jephthah sees an opportunity in that and, and to advance his standing. And so he asked for a deal. He says, okay, make me the head of the tribe that rejected me and I will lead your army. And they agree to that. And this is a real turnaround. Is it surprising that, that, that the one who was an outcast now is running the whole show in Gilead? And what we understand about that is that God, the whole time, is sovereignly working out all of these details in order to save His people and to bring glory to His name. And God chose to use, as a vital part of that plan, a man like 
Jephthah with, with all that he had going on in the background. Now, remember chapter 11, verse 1 says that Jephthah was a mighty man of valor. That means this is a man of bold action. And so when he went after the Ammonites, it's a little surprising that uh, he first tried to settle it with diplomacy. Uh, twice he sends envoys to the king of Ammon, but the talks break off pretty quickly. Chapter 11, verse 28 says, The king of the people of Ammon did not heed the words which Jephthah sent him. And that was okay because Jephthah was more of a fighter than a diplomat anyway. And so he, he gathers the army, leads them into battle. Uh, he wins a great victory in the strength and power of the Holy Spirit. Uh, in uh, chapter 11, verse 29, it says, The Spirit of the Lord came upon Jephthah, and he passed through Gilead and Manasseh, and passed through Mizpah of Gilead, and from Mizpah of Gilead he advanced toward the people of Ammon. Then down in verse 32, so Jephthah advanced toward the people of Ammon to fight against them, and the Lord delivered them into his hands. And he defeated them from Aroer as far as Mineth, 20 cities, and to abel Karamim with a very great slaughter. Thus the people of Ammon were subdued before the children of Israel. It's a great victory. And think about the man at the center of it all. The man God used God took this outcast, outlaw, opportunist, and he made him an overcomer. And God raised him up from the worst of backgrounds to rule over the ones that cast him out. And it had nothing to do with Jephthah's ability or his background or his good works. It had everything to do with God's grace and God's sovereign plan. And I don't know about you, but I see myself in that story. I see myself in Jephthah, born in sin, lost, alienated from God, the enemy of God. But God, in His grace, took me in and gave me a new life. And He raised me up and made me an overcomer. Not because of anything that I had done, but because of His grace. And that's just amazing, isn't it? That God, this blows my mind, that God has a plan and he includes people like me and you in his plan. Imperfect people, sinful people, ordinary people. God uses us in his plan and he uses us to accomplish his will in spite of our backgrounds and our mistakes and all of our problems. That's just amazing to me. And it tells me that the work of God is not about us at all. It's all about Him and His power and His great grace and His ability to reach down and to transform a person who offers Him nothing He doesn't already have just because He loves us. And just that, that, that ought to put an end to any jealousy or fighting or pettiness among God's children we all know that were it not for grace, we would be hopeless and headed for hell without Him were it not for God's grace. And so, so we, we all stand on level ground on that fact, don't we? That because of the Lord, that's why we have what we have. It's by His grace that we're saved at all and that God chooses to use people like us. 
I wish the sermon ended there. You probably do too. But I would not really be telling you the whole truth without giving you the last act of Jephthah's story. This is the tragedy. The tragedy. I skipped these verses. I'm going to go back and read them now. Chapter 11, verse 30. The Bible says, And Jephthah, remember he's headed for the battle. Jephthah made a vow to the Lord and said, If you will indeed deliver the people of Ammon into my hands, then it will be that whatever comes out of the doors of my house to meet me when I return in peace from the people of Ammon shall surely be the Lord's, and I will offer it up as a burnt offering. Verse 34, he's fought the battle. He's coming home. And it says, when Jephthah came to his house at Mizpah, there was his daughter coming out to meet him with timbrels and dancing. And she was his only child. Besides her, he had neither son nor daughter. And it came to pass when he saw her that he tore his clothes and said, Alas, my daughter, you brought me very low. You're among those who trouble me, for I've given my word to the Lord, and I cannot go back on it. So she said to him, My father, if you've given your word to the Lord, do to me according to what has gone out of your mouth, because the Lord has avenged you of your enemies, the people of Ammon. Then she said to her father, Let this thing be done for me. Let me alone for two months that I may go and wander on the mountains and bewail my virginity, my friends and I. In other words, let me go grieve the fact that I'm not going to get to grow up. I'm not going to get to start a family. I'm I'm not going to get to live my life. So he said, go. And he sent her away for two months. And she went with her friends and bewailed her virginity on the mountains. And it was so at the end of two months that she returned to her father and he carried out his vow with her, which he had vowed. She knew no man and it became a custom in Israel that the daughters of Israel went four days each year to lament the daughter of Jephthah the Gileadite. It's just tragic. It was a really dumb promise that Jephthah made to God. A lot of people try to sanitize that and make it mean something else. I don't think you can make it mean anything other than Jephthah intended to carry out a human sacrifice as a way to buy God's blessing. He just didn't expect it to be his only child. Question, why would Jephthah make such a horrible promise I think the reason is so much of the Canaanite culture had shaped Jephthah's heart. The Canaanites believed that you could please one of their pagan gods by offering a sacrifice to gain their blessing. And the greater the sacrifice, the greater the blessing that you could earn from your god. And apparently, Jephthah dragged that false belief of Canaan into his relationship with the one true God. But hear me. Our God never, never, ever requires something like that to get his attention or to gain his love. So, should Jephthah have kept the vow that he made to God? 
Was his daughter right? Father, you've made this vow. You can't turn your back on that now. You got to go through with it. I don't think so. In fact, I, I think what Jephthah should have done is he should have repented from making that horrible vow in the first place and then said, Lord, forgive me for saying such a dumb thing and now help me to just trust in your goodness and to trust in your great plan that you're going to give me the strength to win this battle. And no, I know I don't have to do this thing that I have promised to do. And by the way, that really is the gospel, isn't it? That you receive God's grace as a gift. You can't buy it. You can't earn it. If you could, it wouldn't be a gift. You receive God's grace as a gift because the price for, for our salvation has already been paid for by God Himself in Christ when Jesus went to the cross. And so that means you never have to make a promise or or promise a sacrifice to God in order to earn His love or to earn His favor. In fact, there is only one way to please God. Just one way to please God. And that is by faith in His love and His goodness. By grace you're saved through faith. Without faith it is impossible to please Him, the Bible tells us. So that means, uh, it, this is the good news of the gospel. You, you don't have to negotiate with God. You don't have to cut a deal with God. In fact, there's only one deal God will ever make. And that is, you give me your life. You just surrender who you are. Problems and all. Sins and all. You're all of your background. Give me everything. And God says, you give me your life. And, and I will give you my righteousness in place of all your sin. In fact, if you're not saved today, I pray that today is the day that you're going to say, Lord, that's me. I'm going to give you everything that I am. I have nothing to offer you except a broken life and a lot of sin in my past. But I'm going to give you my life. And here's what, here's what you'll find. You'll find God waiting there with love and forgiveness. And He'll apply everything you've done to the Lord Jesus who has already paid the price on the cross. And you can be free from God's judgment and you can be saved today and know it forever. Well, tragically, Jephthah kept that horrible vow he made and he sacrificed his daughter. It's hard to even say those words. It was a horrific heartbreaking mistake. But there are a couple of things we can learn here, and let me just wrap it up quickly with this. Number one, faith is demonstrated in simple obedience, not grand promises. It's not, God, if you'll bless me, I'll give you this. God, if you'll get me through this tight spot that I'm in, then I'll do this for you. We don't negotiate with Him. That's not real faith. Real faith is, Lord, I've given you my life. And so whatever you say, I'm going to do and just leave the results to you. If you say love my neighbor, I'm going to find a way to love my neighbor today. If you say treat your wife like Christ treats the church, love her, I'm going to find some way to be a blessing to my wife today. 
And Lord, if you say I'm to share the gospel, I'm just going to open my mouth. And I'll do it while I'm scared and and afraid, but I'm going to do it because you said so. And and I'm just going to trust you with the results. That's faith. It's simple obedience. And the last thing, I I want to show you a verse that's that's really going to blow your mind. Are you ready for this? You're not ready for this. Are you ready for this? This is going to blow your mind. Hebrews 11, that great chapter of the Bible that lists the name of all of these great patriarchs of the faith. Those who who had faith in God and God did amazing things through them. These are the lives that we learn from and look to in Scripture. And it lists their names in, in Hebrews 11. When you get down to verse 32... Continuing the list, it says, And what more shall I say? For the time would fail me to tell of Gideon and Barak and Samson and Jephthah. Are you serious? Jephthah made this list? Also of David and Samuel and the prophets, who through faith subdued kingdoms, worked righteousness, obtained promises, Stop the mouths of lions, quench the violence of fire, escape the edge of the sword, out of weakness were made strong, became valiant in battle, turned to flight the armies of the aliens. Wait just a minute. How in the world did Jephthah make that list in this chapter along with Abraham and Joseph and Moses? And how in the world does a guy like Jephthah end up in the same verse with David and Samuel? He shouldn't be a part of this conversation. How did he end up on that list? And the answer is, that's the grace of God. That's the grace of God. He loves people who don't love him back. He takes sinners and transforms their lives into something beautiful and useful. He uses flawed people. It's just by His grace. And if that's hard for you to wrap your mind around how Jephthah could make that list, uh, then let me just validate that. God's grace is a hard thing to grasp. Because we are hardwired to understand reciprocation. Pay to play. Right? God, I'll do this for you, and then you have to bless me. God, I'll give you this, and then you're indebted to me. You owe me salvation for being such a good guy. That's the way we naturally understand it. But God's grace is different. God loves you just because He chooses to love you. And God saves us and uses us by His grace. That's the grace of God. Let's stand together. And will you join me in prayer as our pastors make their way here to the front and we're going to be here to receive you and to pray with you today, whatever your need might be. Uh, Pastor Scott's going to come and lead us in a song. Here's what I want to ask you to do. If you've never before trusted in Jesus as your Lord and Savior, I want to ask you to call on Him to save you today. You need Him. 
And it's by His grace that you can be saved today. Uh, Maybe you find yourself in that cycle. And, And there have been things you've allowed into your life that have replaced your love for God and your usefulness for God. And today's the day that needs to end. That needs to end. And what do you do? The same thing as the Israelites did. God, I've sinned. Save me. Help me. Forgive me. And you let God do that work of His grace today. All right? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank You for Your Word, for showing us that You used a man like Jephthah. And if You can use him, You can use any of us. I pray for that person who's sort of been on the sidelines. They're saved, but they're not serving. They're not involved. I pray, Lord, you would help them to understand today that you can use them for your glory. Lord, for those who are unsaved, maybe this is not what they expected when they came in here today. But today's the day of salvation for them. I pray that you give them the boldness to respond to your grace with faith and repentance. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, if you enjoyed today's podcast, be sure to subscribe and share. And if you want a pastor to follow up with you regarding today's message, reach out to us at severe.church slash follow up. Thanks again for joining us on the First Baptist Church Severeville podcast.